1: this is the Pivels podcast your saskatchewan rough riders fan podcast thanks so much for joining us this week here on the show whether you're uh listening anywhere you find your podcasts watching us on youtube or watching the show on Sastel max tv on demand thank you for tuning in you got alex here i'm steve and uh, je m'appelle greg ah, i knew you were gonna do something french
0: I had so many other things, but a lot of them were curses. Uh, uh, and uh, Qu-
1: from De- I learned from DoQua last night, so <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Oh, we! I'm looking forward to this show. We're all in good moods because Winnipeg lost. ABW. Ultimately, that's all that matters. We're all super happy about that. You can give us a follow on X, Twitter, at PifflesPod. You can give me a follow at Real Alex D. I'm at Safamod. And as
0: always, I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on sports
1: and check us out on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash Piffles podcast. Lots of interaction going on on Facebook right now. <laughs> Thanks to everybody commenting, liking, sharing a lot going on. That's awesome. Uh, and the p- website Piffles podcast.com Piffles podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone street and SAS drive in Regina. Oh boy. I don't even know where to begin with this great cup game, but uh, let's give it a shot. Anyway, let's find out how wild and off the rails. This show is going to get time for the opening kickoff. Okay. So Montreal wins the great cup ending the die or die. No as I was calling it. Um, Right, we're done with the dynasty talk about the bombers. Right, like there, it's there's, there's not, no dynasty. You know what? They're after they, after they lost the first
2: one, all we heard was, well, if they win three and four, it's fine. That's still a dynasty. Then they lost this one. All I'm hearing now is, if they win three and five, it's still a dynasty. It's still good. It's still good. No, to it's me, just got mud on it. It's good. it's good. It's good. It's It's still good. I thought I'd try and get the uh, the Simpsons reference in early, but like, it was dead when they lost the first one. To me, a dynasty is three in a row. Anything short of that, get that garbage out of here.
1: Wow. And a Jack Armstrong reference too. <laughs> um, okay. Al's win 28-24. We're going to talk about the game. I want to start talking about what I saw before the kickoff. And, and this isn't the bad stuff that we're going to talk about later with the Rosh and the whole French English thing. We're, we're going to get to that. Um, I want to get your guys' take. What did you think of the Grey Cup being on the sidelines coming out of the dressing room where the players have to uh, run by it onto the field? Uh, kind of a soccer style. You see this in uh, in all major European soccer events. Uh, Steve, you're the soccer fan. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I, I don't know if it happens here in North America as well, too, with the whatever cup they have for MLS. Um yes. But it
2: I mean, I got my AFC Richmond scarf right <laughs> up there.
1: But, but the idea is you have to run by the championship onto the field so you know what you're playing for. You're running right by it, which, I'm, I mean, for one, I was kind of hoping that somebody was going to trip and fall and hit it just to show how stupid this thing is. But anyway, what's your guys' take on that entrance?
0: Well, first of all, can we talk about slightly off topic here? Did the people that arranged this Grey Cup a uh, pregame festiv- festivities also do the ben Cahoon retirement ceremony cuz it took forever. That was a long pregame. It was it was ridiculous and like oh and kickoff is coming up next thing you know they're driving the gray cup out and they're passing it off to people. Now we're introducing dignitaries and I'm like I do not recall a gray cup that has been this long of a pregame. Like that was just nuts. But yeah, I hate that. I I honestly I love not seeing the gray cup until you see the RCP members marching it down, marching it to the uh, field on in the fourth quarter. And yeah. but the thing is, so they had the RCP members march it to the fan base, which I'm glad they're finally getting their money's worth out
2: of that thing. <laughs> like it, it was just, it was overproduced. It was just not what I wanted. I'm the polar opposite on this. I want to see the Grey Cup at the beginning of the game, when they're coming out, just like they do in soccer. You you run past it. Every player gets to look at it and realize what they're playing for. Now they all know what they're playing for, but it's different when you look over and you see that trophy sitting right there. It, there's just there's got to be something different there. It's got to hit some kind of feels. Apparently, it didn't hit either team's offense in the first half or most of it. But it to me that's just a a fun way to start it. Then you, then you hide it away for three quarters of football. And then you get that Epic fourth quarter RCMP March down to the side. I love both sides of it. And I hope that tradition continues. And I hope we, I just like to see the great cup. It's just such a beautiful trophy. I want to see it more often. Bring it out at halftime. Let green day parade (laughs) around with it. I don't care. Get it
1: out there. See, I'd be in for watching that. Um, (laughs) no i'm with greg i hate the idea that it's out there to begin with that should be uh the true canadiana moment of the cfl the great cup game is and the week is canadiana at its finest now i'm not one that always wants to stick with traditions i always want to change things make new traditions and just evolve but except this one except this one (laughs) because there's nothing cooler than having the rcmp come through the crowd with the Grey Cup and it's a spectacle. There it is. We don't see it until that moment. That's what they're playing for with just a couple minutes left, especially in a close game. I mean, obviously you can't dictate that before the game, how close it's actually going to be, but it just adds that extra element and to see them, the RCMP coming, it's such a Canadiana moment and it's ruined by being brought in from already there. And then to bring it in from the Hall of Fame and just walk it indoors in Hamilton, like it just, there was no like, oh my God, there it is. And the thing about the CFL is, they're so fan driven, unlike any other league, to actually walk it down through the crowd. You don't see that anywhere else, and that's why I love that. So I'd love to see it just stay. That was just, but, but you still got that moment,
2: even though they had it at the, the beginning of the game. Now. I think the problem with the moment this year is because the the Hall of Fame is right there and they just march it from out back rather than that, you know, press box and down and around. It was they 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 could have still made it a spectacle. The problem this year was how they did it. And I think if they did it the way they've done it every other year, not in Hamilton, it would have been fine. But because you just got that little quick march out and it was over in 30 seconds, there was no wow moment and there was no fan involved i think if you do it right you can have the player moment before the game and then still get
1: that super canadian rcmp march through the fan base moment that but we all love after the game all week long the players are by the gray cup they put it up in the media rooms and that, everything that's not,
2: that's not game it's day
1: the same thing it's not
2: it's not though everything changes on they game know day. what they're playing for
1: They already know. They
2: know what the Grey Cup looks like. (laughs) They're playing for the ring and the money.
1: A couple of them are playing for that moment to lift the cup. Put some money out there. You know how the what was it? The XFL had the million dollar game. Put a million Million dollar game. (laughs) The entire way they,
0: the entire way they treated the Grey Cup this week has been weird, especially considering it's in Hamilton. They brought it in on a boat. I'm using air quotes, and I'm. Like, and the great cup got delivered. I'm like, no, it, it, it essentially lives in Hamilton. Lives there. Like, you guys took it to the boat, took it for a trip around the water, and brought it back. Like, all right.
2: <laughs> That'd like, be like having the Olympic torch ceremony where they just light the torch from the original flame and then turn around <laughs> and light the new torch, and that's it. That's yeah. what they did. I can we talk? Have we talked about how ridiculous it was that the Hall of Fame was closed all week? <laughs> Just, I loved walking walking the great cup through and you see all the busts of the the greats of the past. That was kind of a cool moment. That could have been a lot better
1: if they did that like through the whole hall. In this but league, it's, How was it closed? We talk about it all the time. This league does it to themselves with marketing. You're going to have how many thousands of people coming to Hamilton wanting to go to the Hall of Fame if it's open. Put some merch there as well. But they, but they got the three little cases that they get at every great Cup
2: in the city where the Hall of Fame is.
1: Yeah. F word, right, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. Word indeed. All right. Well, okay. Um, there's some other stuff about the CFL. We'll talk about that in the bad, but I want to focus on the good of this game and that's the Bombers losing, which was the best part um, of the Grey Cup. The Grey Cup game itself, though, from front to back, I thought it was a fantastic game. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. It was a very, very good game. A lot of people get washed up in the the ending. And the ending was great, don't get me wrong. But usually people only remember the endings of games. This was a fantastic game the whole way through. And, I mean, it started with Montreal getting down 10 points. Um, The roughing the passer against Montreal, setting the Bombers up, giving them a touchdown to go up 10, nothing first off that's not rough in the passer. When the not arm hits close. the shoulder first, that is not rough in the passer.
0: Cody was a runner at that point too.
1: Zach. Like, wrong, yeah, wrong Zach, former sorry. writer's quarterback.
0: Yeah, what, Sorry. I've been arguing about writer, former writer quarterbacks. I'm like, I didn't call him Darian right now. <laughs> at least I didn't confuse him <laughs> with Isaac Harker, but I digress.
2: Um, Back to Kent Austin.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Zach, yeah, that, that was a, because he's Zach Calero's call, plain and simple. The minute Zach felt something brush up against his head, he was tapping his skull and out came the flag. It, it, like, remember when they used to flag the, um, receivers for doing the fla- the flagging motion for trying to draw, trying to get the coach to challenge. They should start doing that for quarterbacks, trying to claim they got hit in the head because that, that was garbage. That flag should never have been thrown.
1: The worst part about that was the ref that threw it did not even see that side of Zach Claros's head. Nope. So, He's to me, that side. was the worst part. Like, I get it in, in full speed. It, I mean, we get the benefit of replay. The referees don't, but if you can't see the, the hit happen properly and what hits first, you should not be throwing a flag. That's just pure speculation, and refs can't ref on speculation. And it cost Montreal four points.
2: Here's the funny thing How did you go ahead? How did the command center not call down on that? That's the whole purpose of them being there. We've seen it time and time again all year where they'll just randomly pipe in and be like, "Eh, Actually, that wasn't a penalty. And then a game like that. Yeah. Why do you want me to swear today? This is a family-friendly show, Alex. Can we Sorry. not mention that turd's name? That's
1: but the nicest thing the... you've ever said about how Bradbury. On show. Yeah, pretty much,
2: we
0: have receipts. <laughs> but but that was the thing. Like the command center. Like yeah, they you can't ref on speculation there. But you go to that end of the half, whether or not um, the owls were in the end zone or not. 95% of the time, they call that a touchdown and let the command center try to figure it out because no one can see the ball in a pile like that. That's the first time they didn't even talk about it. They're like, nope, they weren't in. I'm like, that's a lot closer than you guys think it is, I'm thinking, but I don't know.
1: Um, just before we get to that play, because I have another beef with that play. Um, so Bombers go up 10-0. Um, I thought once that happened, I was like, this game's over if Montreal doesn't come back and score here. And sure enough, they came back with a touchdown. William standback had a nice run, uh, and then I was like, "Okay, Hell this enough. is this is going to be this is going to be something. It's not going to be a blowout. Good, they're going to find a way to keep it close." And then, of course, uh, at the end of the first half, stuffed on third and goal from the one. Um, Winnipeg was offside, helmet in the neutral zone. The NFL is okay. cracking down big time on that kind of stuff right now, and how formations, offensive line are. Lining up, covering the the tackles, all that kind of stuff. It's so blatantly obvious in the CFL where you have to give the one yard. And to see a helmet over the line very clearly, full helmet should have been an automatic first down for Montreal. Instead, they get stuffed, which I mean, don't get me wrong, Winnipeg wanted it more at that point.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they have a great goal line third and goal goal line defense we've seen that many times here with the riders and especially against a cody Fajardo team um (laughs) but it still should have been an automatic first down but i was really curious because jim barker at halftime said he would have kicked the field goal would you guys have kicked the field goal or gone for the touchdown on third and goal there lapo agreed with him the only one who said no you go for it was bolivai
0: mitchell and they were making fun of him because he's the player. Go to As a coach, you need to make that decision to go for the
1: points. I'm like, well, I, maybe the, maybe that's why Lapo's not coaching anywhere right now. He, he's I,
2: absolutely wrong. You take the touchdown there.
1: If you don't get it,
2: you don't get it. But you, if you go in there and kick the field goal, you're telling your offense right then and there you have no faith in them. Good luck getting them back on track in the second half.
1: You're getting the this, ball back to start the second half. If you can double dip... In any possible way, you absolutely do that. And you should be able to get a yard in the CFL. It should be automatic every time. Unfortunately, it wasn't. But um, you can't, like, you have to be aggressive. You're going against Winnipeg here. You're not going to beat Winnipeg with kicking field goals. You need touchdowns if you're Montreal in this game. So I love the call. It was terrible execution, obviously, but still the right call to me.
2: Honestly, I'm kicking that, or I'm taking the touchdown opportunity anywhere inside the five at that point. Down 10 points, that opportunity to double dip. You you can flip momentum completely in your favor in a matter of place. I and think I will, anywhere inside the five, you go for it.
1: And I will say this, and I truly believe this, 14 years later, still to the day, that if the Riders in 2009, at the end of the first half, go for a touchdown against Montreal. They will score the touchdown. They were dominating that first half entirely. They settled for a field goal. And I remember being at that game, screaming at them, why aren't you going for it? They kicked the field goal. The rest of the game would have been completely different because I guarantee they score. And the Riders 100% win that great cup.
0: So many things can be said about that uh, 2009 great cup, but they were playing not to lose at yep. that point that's they, where they weren't playing to win they, they were yeah they were they were like just protect the lead take what we can keep them from scoring and
1: yeah just obviously we know what happened um uh, what did you guys think of willie jefferson tweeting at halftime obviously bombers are <laughs> i could not believe here. that i was like <laughs> are you kidding me i mean he doesn't do that if they're down 10 points obviously he does it if they're up 10 points um i think it's hilarious I get it. It's a longer halftime. You're used to only having okay. Here's your, you know, 15 minutes. This one's 30 minutes. So you gotta find that extra time. Most players are probably looking at film work or grabbing something to eat or or whatever else. And Willie's on his phone, uh, quote tweeting the CFL or the Bombers Twitter account. And <laughs> I just think that that's such a huge flex. Obviously, in retrospect, awful decision especially yeah. with losing. But i that that's the reason why I love Willie Jefferson. At least the guy can back up his, you know, with his play, right? But just imagine if that doing, happened man? here. Imagine if that
0: happened here. The amount of people's heads that would have exploded if Willie Jefferson would have tweeted in the gray cup that the riders were up and they turn around and blow it. Like, be out of town like he was first. a quarterback.
2: Yeah. Let's not I'll sit the- here and pretend that every player isn't on their phone at halftime. But oh, sure. Here and there, they're oh, yeah. all on there. But to, you got to almost keep it a secret to to start tweeting out, and especially a tweet like that where he's basically calling out the Alouettes. Maybe not the best time, but they were up ten points. They just had a huge goal line stand. Why not? He was feeling it, and he was feeling yeah. it. And you got to you got to respect the the move. You know, that takes some, that takes some balls and it didn't work out for them, but it was still, uh, I, I, I like it. I'd like to see more of that. The, the league needs more people like that. Yes. Cause that had people talking all through halftime. It was, it was Willie Jefferson and green day. That's all we heard. We, people had stopped talking about the stand other than Willie Jefferson talking about it.
1: Um, uh, speaking of green day, what did you guys think of the halftime show? Great. It made me even more mad that we got Florida
0: Georgia line segment because such a good show.
1: That was, but the language won't anyone think of the children? I I will say, I don't care about the, uh, the F bomb that was dropped as part of the song. Um, I was surprised though that the other F word that was used um, in holiday at the end was still allowed that to me that, is something that probably should have been changed or just not said at all. Um, but that's just me.
2: You're you're never going to get a band like Green Day to change the lyrics of their song like that. It's not, yeah, throwing in Hamilton instead of California, sure. But the, the words are there in the song for a reason. You're not going to get them to change it. The best you're going to do is have somebody bleep it out, which I'm shocked that neither one was seemed like we all knew it was coming we all know the words was the was the guy on the the bleep button sitting there rocking? he's just just rocking out and then oh crap he missed it too late like how how did that get missed is the funnier part to me i can understand post game when you guys got when you have guys full of emotion and they're just ripping off the odd f-bomb yeah but eh. that seemed that that seemed more more of a tsn oopsie
0: like was this game not on delay at all because there was like no censoring of any of the players losing their minds. Like that that was the most open cursing I've heard on any celebration of any sport that I can remember in a long time. Post game with
1: Lemon. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. And the CFL retweet or like quote tweeting that. I love it. that. I love that. That's great. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's emotional. It's an emotional yep. game. And that's how people talk. That's
2: Let's stop pretending that those words yeah. don't exist.
1: Um, I love the halftime show. The only thing that I disliked about it was that it was only four songs. They could have yeah, kept I going see. and it just, it felt really short. Um, it did. That but I say that as a green day fan who wanted to see more. Um, you would but, have rather
2: had the four songs as the, the game and the four quarters as the green day
1: show. Yeah, pretty much actually. Yeah. yeah. Give me, give me a little bit mini football game. At the Green Bay concert. Absolutely. <laughs> that, honestly, that was one of the best halftime shows we've had in... I they don't know it. how long. They they absolutely, absolutely. nailed it. And the, whole, the presentation of it, it looked phenomenal. Um, sounded great. Like, it was just excellent. It was perfect. I, I <laughs> loved it. Um, so the game goes to the second half. Montreal gets the ball back. They score a touchdown on the first drive, which was just... They needed that more than anything. And what was brilliant about it was the touchdown pass itself. Cody to uh, um, Speaker got the touchdown. Attacking Adam Big Hill, the injured linebacker, working, you know, covering a slot receiver. If I see that matchup, man, I'm attacking that every single time, especially when Big Hill was as injured as he was and re-aggravated his injury during the game too. I'm taking that every single time, and it was to me that was just brilliant game planning and a, and a just dis- brilliant decision by Cody Fajardo.
2: There, there was one, and I'm, I'll bring this up again later when we talk about the the last drive. But there was one very clear underlying tone with basically every single one of Fajardo's long bombs. He underthrew everybody. His receivers bailed him out. I love we. We're all happy for Fajardo. He played the game of his life, but the uh, that the pass to Austin Mack right before it that should have been flagged was underthrown. The touchdown pass was underthrown. The pass to uh, that third and five pass. If he if he throws that on the money, uh, who was it that caught it? Was it Speaker that caught that too? Speaker got that one Uh, too. He was walking into the end zone. There. There was a lot of talk about how great of a game Fajardo played. I think a lot of the props belong with his receiving core. That's not to knock the guy. He played he played his absolute heart out, and he earned that trophy. But Austin Mack, Speaker, all of them deserve a ton of props because they bailed his butt
1: out. Well, the fourth quarter happens. It goes back and forth. Montreal takes the lead, gives it away. Uh, Winnipeg comes back, take the lead. But that final drive, I remember looking at the clock and I said to myself, I'm like, okay, Cody, this is your chance to shut everybody up. And he did. There were, I mean, we've all said it. We don't really think that he has what it takes to do that. And he proved us and everybody else wrong. He made fantastic throws on that final drive. That touchdown pass to uh, to Philpot was a just a perfectly placed ball, great route, and I mean I don't know what to, what to, what else to say, but just Cody absolutely earned that, and he shut everybody up in the process. And my crow is tasting really good. I hope everybody else's crow is tasting just as sweet right now. I I'm glad that Philpot made that cut in front
0: of the goalpost and not behind it. <laughs> <laughs> cuz that that could have been a that could have been a uh, you imagine ATS Cody demon? hits
1: the crossbar again against winnipeg yeah. oh man um but yeah like
0: great play call um moss called a great game like that third and five that speed yeah was underthrown but that speaker got like the That's Spalding's to game. make that call that was just crazy and i'm like I'm like, why is he throwing? Like, I even screamed at the TV. I'm like, why is he throwing it deep? You need five. I'm like, oh, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good.
2: Like the the absolute stones to to make that play call. And if you watch Pajardo, he stared Speaker down that entire. Like there was he was going there. There was no other outlet. There was no five yard play. He was making that throw. Not the best throw. Speaker, you know, did his job and caught it but the the the, co- the cojones to make that call and pull it off brilliant i want to see more of that i want to see teams take chances you're never going to win a great cup you know trying to dump it off on third and five and did we mention the the run the play before the was it 13 yard run from fajardo to put them in a position yeah. where they could get a first down cuz as soon as that sack happened i'm pretty sure 90% yep. of us went, Oh no, there's the game right there. It's second and eighteen. And he takes off. And he he had his little his little mini Darien moment. He he put the team on his back there. Not quite to and, the same extent, but
0: and the worst part is that sack was such a Cody sack, too. <laughs> like he just kind of just held on to long. Like he didn't get rid of it. He just held on to it until yeah, he got taken down. So it was good that he could bail himself out to get to a third and manageable, but then to throw a bomb on it. I'm like, what is going on here?
1: Um, so the game ends Cody Fajardo gets great cup MVP. And of course, more shots of his mustache, just fantastic Tyson Philpot, I called it would be the Canadian, um, of the game. Most valuable Canadian. Um, I loved all the post-game interviews, the raw motion. Um, we're going to mention two things out of those. I know Greg, you want to you wanna talk about Marc-Antoine uh, Ducoy's post-game rant that he had. Um, and I now I understand this was a huge part of the story of the Montreal Alouettes, the, the cast-offs. I understand asking Cody Fajardo about being cast off from Saskatchewan to ask literally everybody else. The second question, like I love Matthew Shinetti. He was lazy in this game post game. Hey, you just won the great cup. How do you feel? Okay. Boring question, whatever you get your, your answer. Cody Fajardo was cast off from Saskatchewan. What do you think? Like really every single interview, you're going to ask that question enough TSN. Like that was I get it. That, that, that was the
0: narrative the entire week. The but entire week going into the game. Lord,
1: give it a rest. It was so annoying at that point. Fig- like, Ask him something else. Ask him about a specific play at the end. Hey, what did you think when Philpott, you know, made that cut? Or what did you think on that third and five? Throwing it up there to Speaker. Do something like that. Like, Come on. But the, the narrative was just like, I expect that out of Glenn Suter. I don't expect that out of Matthew Shinetti and Claire Hanna, and both of them went the same route each time. Like it was so bad,
0: but but here's the thing though. Like I said, it the the owls also fed into it as we're going to get with the Qua. It was this was the best use of it's us against the world. Yeah, everyone was grinding an axe going forward. It was Sankey grinding an axe against Saskatchewan because of the terrible offer they gave him. It was Cody being shown the door. It was Lemon not being signed into because no team wanted him. It, it was because of the uh, the logos. It was because of the French. It's because they got no respect. But it worked. It for some, gelled. For some it does. Yep. Yeah. It gelled that team. Moss had that team ready to go. They had um, they had them ready to go against the Argos. Had him ready to go against Winnipeg. Jason Moss put in a great coaching performance. And I really hate to compliment Danny Machocha because I dislike that man so much. But he put together, he he made some smart moves by signing Lemon midway through the season, by picking up Sankey. They, They improved their Canadians. He built a very good roster. And they lost their starting quarterback and their top receiver. And they won the Grey Cup.
2: You know, I I look at it from the other side. I thought it was great. I loved sitting there listening to the players' crap on the organization. And then you hop on social media, and you see all of these fans who are basically saying, I hope Jeremy O'Day's happy. Look what he did to Fajardo. But I guarantee you, if you go back to when he was released or when he wasn't signed, almost every one of those fans was calling it the right decision. Because it absolutely was. You cannot sit and look at this in a, a glass bowl with 2020 hindsight and go, well, obviously they should have kept him because he would have won a great cup here. No, he wouldn't have. These are the same people are
0: doing the same thing about Zach Caleros when no one knew if he could play again. <laughs> and we had the most outstanding player nominee as quarterback on the roster, who happens to be Cody freaking fajardo. Like I am so, getting so tired. Like, so I know so you're what right. you're
2: saying, what you're saying is GMing in in hindsight is really really easy, and Super we should all easy. be able to do it.
0: <laughs> but the thing is, though, they still wouldn't got it right. There's no way in hell Zach would be Zach if Matt Nichols didn't get hurt and your buddy Chris strevler just sucked out loud. If if, if could have held that team together, they never would have been desperate enough to trade for Zach, who only started one game for the Bombers before the playoffs. And just had the streak of his life and became the starting quarterback of the Winnipeg
2: Blue Bombers. You know, first you mentioned Al Bradbury. Now you're bringing up Strebler. Why? I was in such a good mood after the game yesterday. The dynasty ended. (laughs) And you got to do that. Why?
1: One of these days uh, in the offseason, Greg, we're going to have to go through and look at the history of cast-off rider quarterbacks and have discussion about that.
0: I, I Believe me, I've been looking at quarterback stats all night. This is why my brain is scrambled when it comes to which quarterback I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you guys right now, the quarterbacks that we think are good, weren't that good. And the quarterbacks that were, were are good elsewhere, weren't that great here either. They just happen to be in a better system for them. That is what football is. It is about game planning and having the best people out there at the time.
2: Look at John Frazier the green cast host. He's a bombers fan who has spent most of the last three years ripping on Zach Caleros Because the guy can't get it done in the big game. His defense won him the 2019 and 2021 great. And Cody or Cody. So now I can't figure out which quarterback I'm talking about. Zach has didn't throw a touchdown pass in either of the last two great cups has looked Beyond pedestrian, that that interception by Ento should have been a walk-in touchdown to uh, I great, believe it was, was Dembski. Great play, the pick was amazing. Okay, but that play. should have been Ento, a walk-in touchdown. The ground Ento covered to make that play, though. Whew. That was that was football IQ and athleticism. That was all. That, there was there was no thought in between. It was just going there. I'm I'm there. It was. One of the best interceptions we'll see, but I I could also rip on on Zach, but we won't do that. I think we'll save that for another show. We, they've the, the tears in his eyes when he, in the post game press conference was uh, was enough for me for one for one episode.
1: Um, now the bat of the Grey Cup, um, Arash Madani bringing it to light, the uh, no LCF logos anywhere on the field, no French signage um, anywhere the day before the game or leading out throughout the week. The league yeah. obviously took a, took a beating on social media because of that rightfully. So um, I don't know how they completely forgot about that with, I mean, one, it should be anyway in the gray cup, but also with, you know, the French team in the gray cup, um, the team from Montreal. Um and then Marc-Antoine Dacroix's post-game comments about that. And again, this just goes all the way around to us against the world. And Greg, I know you were uh, wanting to talk about Dacroix's post-game comments.
0: I want to talk about the whole thing. Part part of the problem with the new Grey Cup logo they came up with, it doesn't have that easy transition to um, being bilingual. At least the old one, you could have Coop Grey and Grey Cup and on the same logo. Yeah. Um the fact they didn't do that is a design problem more than anything. Um but yeah, Dequa lost his mind. And I I don't blame him. I've seen some really 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 dumb I don't say people but comments by people, I guess, made by people who have different intelligences. But <laughs> Dequa was, like was Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Duquault was super passionate, as he should be. He's a Quebecer who dreamed of winning a Grey Cup for the Montreal Alouettes. Yep. Like he was, he lived his dream. And once again, like you said, it was us against them, and it was a very much, especially the Quebecois. They were very. There was, like you said, no English sign, no French signage. The league forgot the logo, and to kind of paraphrase the end of it, um, direct quote the end of it. Sorry, because he he had a very impassioned speech. If you guys can find it, watch the video. Um, Nobody believed in us. Look around. Everything is in English. Even TSN advertised the great cup, Toronto versus Winnipeg. But you know what? Keep your English because we're bringing the cup back to Montreal to go back because we're the champions. And he followed up with a, let's go in English. Like. I don't fault him. Like, no, he felt personally slighted because he loves this league. And he felt like the league doesn't love him back because of the language issue. The CFL is a, is a bilingual league. They, they love pointing out whenever they can. The fact that they drop the ball in their biggest game of the year is just so
2: CFL right now. <laughs> I'm going to say that you don't get a more CFL moment than the CFL dropping the ball on <laughs> Grey Cup Sunday or Grey Cup week in general. I do, I do love that they did end up adding the LCF logo they had to, uh, and uh, that Austin Mack one-handed catch—the fact that that was just right there on the LCF logo was poetry in motion. But I love, I love passion, and the league needs to get behind young guys like this who show passion for the CFL and want to see it grow. Market the ever-loving hell out of guys like him. You've marketed the the Willie Jeffersons and the Trevor Harrises to death. You got to start building marketing around these young guys and especially in a city like Montreal, you get that Quebec fan base back. That's that's not a bad thing. You get that French market. That's that's basically an untapped market in recent years for the CFL. They don't seem to do much out there. I'd love to see it. And he, just the passion from him, if that doesn't speak to the, the marketing department in the CFL, I don't know what will.
0: And here's the weird thing is, though, they finally have a Quebecois owner in Montreal. Yeah. Pierre-Carlo Pelladeau. Like, he's kind of known to really want them to speak French. Like, that's his thing. And the fact that the league is just like, "Eh, oh, yeah, we forgot. And just like, I don't. Yeah. I love this league, but wow, they make it hard. I loved
2: hearing all the stories out of the, the Alouettes, how Jason Moss had the players learning French uh right in camp and was like made it made sure that that was an important part of that team's culture that doesn't work anywhere else in the cfl but in in quebec you have to have that french aspect we've seen it with the habs for generations you know they didn't hire a an english-speaking coach for how long They, they had to be able to speak french it was basically mandatory other than I believe Scotty Bowman didn't speak French back in the day, but hey, like Scotty Bowman. <laughs> but the, this is a this is a big deal, and to to see what they did with it is fantastic, uh, from a you know team perspective. And now the league has to take notice too.
1: One more uh, note, um, just on the Grey Cup week, anyway. Um, and I want to go to the player awards really, really quickly. Um, the CFL renaming the most outstanding player award after George Reed, it's now the George Reed, most outstanding player award, uh, super, super classy and a great way to continuously honor one of the league's all time greatest players. Um, I, I think it's just super classy and very well done by the league.
0: Like I told you guys in the DMs, the only way this could be better, especially considering George's ties to the CFLPA, is if it was a player um, voted on and nominated an award. Um, but yeah, to honor a man as classy as George Reed, that's an awesome way to do it.
1: Well, there's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal Lapage Regina Realty. Let's jump to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Um, actually, speaking of the player awards, uh, congrats need to go out to Brett Lothar for winning the Tom Pate Award. It's the CFLPA Award for outstanding sportsmanship and someone who has made a significant contribution to his team, community and association. Um, and also to Brayden uh, winning the Jake Adar Veterans Award uh, for the player who best displays perseverance, strength, courage, uh comradeship, and contribution to Canadian communities. Uh, Linnaeus is huge in the in the community here uh, for the Riders. Um, so both those guys get some congratulations. Um, and we didn't mention Braden Linnaeus signing a one-year contract extension um, announced just before the Great Cup game. Uh, late last week, they announced that, um, which to me, and we're going to look at some of the free agents here coming up, to me, he was a must sign. Do you guys agree with that? Nope. We've been over this. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the show. You Not
0: know, on the show. Well, we, we kind of tweeted out. We were going to talk about this. Uh, honestly, I thought he was a bubble guy. I, I I like him. I think he's got the talent, but he wasn't a must sign. Uh, obviously, his injury history last year wasn't great. But we also have some decent Canadian receivers already. I, I don't, I think... He he isn't as much of a must-sign as he would have been even last offseason or a season prior. Um the the coming out party of Amalis, you got KSB, you got Picton, and we got some other guys coming through the system. I I don't think it's
2: he was that much of a must sign. I'm I'm gonna agree with Alex on this one. I think he was if not a must-sign, he was pretty darn close to it. I mean, he's he's got the measurables and the athleticism that he got that look down south. If they can build on that and continue to build on that, and more importantly, if he can stay healthy, because we saw what happened this year, he missed the entire season. He played touchdown Atlantic and then got hurt. Yeah, like that's like, that's but, a scary no moment means, for him. By no means am I saying I wanted him off the team.
0: I'm I'm not running him out with Cody Pujardo, but I'm just saying. I I didn't think he was a must sign. I'm glad he signed. I think he's going to put a lot of, uh, put a lot of effort into making it back to this team and washing 2022 out of his mouth. But I didn't think he was a must sign. That said, that's back to back years we won the Jake Goddard Award,
2: and it's honestly okay that you're wrong, Greg.
1: Yeah, here's why. I th- here's why I think it was a must sign. If you're gonna continue to run two starting Canadians in the receiving group, obviously KSB and Sam MLS are the starters, you need some depth there. Right now, Mitch Picton's the only guy behind them because Juwan Breskison, potential free agent, he's not coming back. I like I really like Juwan Breskesson, but they didn't use him at all last year. He was a special teams guy, and you might as well just have a young guy come in and do that at that point. So you're probably letting Breskesson go. Anyone else like Isaiah Woodley? Oh, Steve gave up on us. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um Isaiah Woodley, free agent now, no longer part of the territorial exemption thing with the Regina Thunder, which uh, you brought up to me, Greg. He's that that's done for he, him. He, so. he, yeah, he's he's graduated out. So, so he actually is a, a he's full American free now. agent now. Yeah. Um yeah. but also I'm curious if you're going to um, go forward. Maybe you want to have three Canadian starters at receiver. Now, if you want to do that, obviously we need to get more signed or drafted or whatever anyway. Um, but it gives you some flexibility, assuming that the team's going to go with three offensive linemen. I'm curious what they do with Micah tights next year is he's going to be a starter after this past season. I don't think he should be. So you're going to need to find another Canadian starter somewhere. Um, But they drafted all these receivers in the first couple rounds over the last few years for a reason. And yeah, they picked Linnaeus over McInnes, uh, which again, hindsight, bad idea. They probably should have kept McInnes, but you can't give up on the guy. We find with Canadians that they need, sometimes they need a little bit of time to develop in the CFL. Again, the injury history does worry me, but you're not asking him to be a six, seven, 800 yard guy. If he can come in and play like a Mitch Picton type role, if you have a couple of those guys, that's perfectly fine, but you need to have those guys. And I'd like to see the team go and spend their offense their or their high draft picks now on offensive linemen, not on receivers. So if you can keep those receivers that you already have, then you can finally attack the o-line which is what this team so desperately needs so to me and i'm assuming it's a very team-friendly contract it has to be with his injury history that's why i think he was a must sign
0: like i said i don't hate the signing i just don't i didn't think he was a must but i guess we'll find out
1: um now speaking of receivers we're spending a little bit of time in the offseason here now that the, the, the riders offseason uh, looking at potential free agents and the receivers were next up on our list. Uh, so looking at who's a free agent. You guys tell me yes or no. Do you want them back? Should they be back? Whatever. Uh, just give me a quick note on uh, each of these guys coming up that are potential free agents for the riders. Mario Alford. Yes. Yes. I see. I'm, I'm indifferent on him now. I wish that they would have used him a little bit on offense and as electric as he can be on the on special teams. He had two of his three against Calgary in one game. And it's just that he didn't really do much the rest of the year. I, I think know. if you can get him in for for cheap, you still do. But I yeah. wouldn't make him a priority by any means. My priority priority goes to the next guy, Sean Bain Jr. I think we can all oh, yes. probably agree on that one, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, Juwan Breskison. I mentioned that I I'd probably walk away from him. I don't see him signing back here. I, I'd I'd love to have him
2: back on that like basically min salary, but you're not gonna get him to come back. You're not the way we used him this year. Great guy off the field, but I feel like his career might be
1: might be done at this point. Uh, we just mentioned him, Isaiah Woodley. I'd like to see him be brought back. If you can uh, even just practice squad. I think he could, like I said, he's got the speed. He could be a,
0: an option for returner at some point.
2: I'm neither here nor there on him. I don't know enough about him really to, to give the thumbs up or thumbs down. So I'll side with the guy who knows the Thunder pretty well.
1: Give him a thumbs up um and finally tevin jones i i've been banging the tevin jones drums for two seasons now i like the guy
0: so i don't know what happened at the end of the season i don't know if this is a cody Dickey situation except it's tevin and Dickey. um but it's also concerning when dickie's saying he's not learning the
1: playbook and it's what two years in <laughs> so That's the part that worries me when Dickinson was saying that he got benched as the team's 1A, 1B receiver, uh, him and Sean Bain Jr. leading the team in in receiving with 800-plus yards at the time. And all of a sudden you bench him because he hasn't learned the playbook? Something's not adding up there to me. No. And I just, I don't know. Because I like Tevin Jones. I think he could be a fine Two or three receiver on this team but that playbook sure didn't look like there was much to learn about it in 2023 so is here's the, that here's the is that thing. dickie ahead, search, blowing smoke like is that Dicky's trying to justify the reason why he benched him i i have no idea i wish i knew more about that situation but i have that worry that geez if this guy couldn't figure out the playbook why would you want him back?
0: Well, here's the, here's the problem though, that I don't understand either though. So Tevin Jones can't learn the playbook. What was your excuse for making Winicky a healthy scratch for the entire season? And he's still technically being paid by the team. Like he's still on the roster. He still has a contract. So if we're going to let Tevin Jones walk, why are we keeping Winicky around?
2: Uh, Honestly, Tevin Jones is a no for me and it's, it's exactly what you said. If he's having issues with that playbook and he couldn't crack the roster at the end of the year, got benched in this offense when he was putting up the numbers, he was that scares me to no end. And I think we could use that money basically anywhere else on the roster
1: and use it on the next group offensive line. This will finish our offensive. uh, Look, lots of free agents on the O line. Um, Everybody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> let him go or bring him back no it's, it's
0: everybody but god everybody. Bro, it looks yeah, like pretty
1: much um so we'll start we'll go in alphabetical order here uh philip lake i think you bring him back
2: i age is caught up to him but i think if you can bring him back as more of a sixth0 lineman because he can play anywhere across the the offensive line that's a, a valuable commodity i i think you have to
0: It'd have to be very team friendly, but yeah, that
1: age. The only thing that scares me is his age. He teeters on that must sign list for me, but I don't know. Um, I agree with you guys. If it's at a lower contract and or incentive laden, uh, then I mean, to me, it's a no brainer that you do bring him back. Just I hope they're not breaking the bank for him. Uh, we'll all agree on this one, Logan Furland. Absolutely yes. must sign.
2: No, let him go. <laughs> of course you bring him back. He should be the first guy you sign off the entire he, he, free agent list. He he's the he was their nominee
0: for most outstanding lineman if they don't bring him back unless he's got NFL uh, ideas dancing
1: in his brain, I he better not go anywhere. Um the favorite of the Piffles podcast, Evan Johnson. Uh, famous husky. Uh he can go. Honestly, I
2: say bring him back. He did well in the second half of the season. Something clicked in there. I don't know what it was, but he was not atrocious, which I realize is not a very friendly way to say he wasn't great, but he was he was better. Talk and about I a sliding scale. <laughs> I I would like to see if if he can continue to improve. And I never would have said that two years ago, last year. That's weird.
1: I think that's where I'm at as well too. I know I just said this about Braden Linnaeus and you have to give the Canadians time. Maybe that's what it needed for Evan Johnson. Um, But I I think you have to bring him back. It's continuity on the O-line is so huge um, in this league. And maybe he excels at a sixth O-line position. In 2023, I hope they are making a serious effort in free agency to upgrade that O-line. But I think in the meantime, you have to try and bring them back. Um, Colin Kelly. The line looked better when he was healthy. Yeah, it did. Um, Eric Lofton, one of the tackles, Mm -hmm. American tackles. No.
2: He was okay, but he was not worth holding an American roster spot. He
1: can go find another one. They've been trying for years and they still can't find one. He's, he's not the answer. Uh, Zach Fry. I, how has he not cracked the roster yet?
0: This yeah, is it my on only concern roster
1: all last year. Yep.
0: This, this is my problem with Zach Fry. He has not even got a sniff of coming up. And that worries me. Not even as a sixth. Like He just was on the practice roster the entire time. Either he's not the guy that they thought they drafted, or <laughs> there's something going on there. I, I don't see him back.
2: He's 23 years old. We, we talk ad nauseum about Canadians, but especially offensive linemen needing that extra time. But if he never got a single look, at the roster with the O-line the way it's been the last couple of years. How bad is he? How far from developing is he at this point?
1: I'm I'm cut kind him of at this point or walk away from him. I wonder if this is a Craig Dickinson thing, why he didn't crack the roster and Dickie going with the vets. I I'm I wonder if that's what it was. At his age, I think you have no choice. If you can, you absolutely bring him back. You just got him um, in his first year after waiting a year uh, for him after you drafted him. I don't think you give up on him that easily. I think to me, he's obviously not a must sign, but he's kind of close to that. that. If if you're he's a, depth, gonna, he's a depth sign, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna bring in some vets, and I mean, there's always injuries on the O line. You got to have depth. So, yeah, I, I bring him back. Um, Jordan Tucker, another American tackle who never cracked the roster. Who? Yeah. <laughs> this guy Can had I... a
0: contract? Okay, I'll, I'll believe you He had a contract. You won't now.
1: Rip that contract up, find another American tackle. No. Um, and finally, Riley Schick, who also was a territorial uh, exemption uh, coming from the Regina Thunder. I'd be very shocked if he's not in training camp next year. Um, he unfortunately ended the season
0: with a Thunder um, injured, so he didn't get to play in the playoffs. Um, he was their best offensive lineman by far. Um, this was actually his second stint on the Riders uh, practice roster. He was on the year before. Um, they like him, obviously, if they kept him around tw- uh, for two years. Uh, he could be the next Logan Ferland. He's big, strong dude. Uh, farm kid. Uh, he'll be in training camp and we just had the thunder awards night the other night and to a man, cause they talked about the uh, graduating players. Everyone talked about his leadership, how he's a great pr- presence in the locker room and how they're going to miss him. So uh, the writers got a good one if they can develop them.
2: I, again, I can't really say it better than the guy who knows the thunder. You you got to bring him back.
0: Uh, speaking of thunder, I forgot. Um, one of the Thunder coaches was on the uh, staff of the uh, Alouettes.
1: I saw Uh, that. Dave, Dave Jackson. Dave Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Strength and condition coach, I think is what he is, or?
0: Uh, Fullbacks coach of the Alouettes. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was the coach in the Thunder in 2022 and 20, uh, sorry, 2021, 2022. So uh, Moss took him to Montreal
1: with him, so. Um I missed this earlier. Sorry. Um the CFL Fans Fight Cancer event at Grey Cup. Um last year, I mean, we'll pat ourselves and everybody else on the back uh setting a new record with over $24,000 and we've we said from then we hope this record lasts just a year and we hope Hamilton crushes what we do and then BC the year after and Winnipeg the year after that. We hope it keeps growing and growing and growing. That's exactly what happened. Thirty-five Over $35,000 uh, raised for the CFL Fans Fight Cancer event uh, this year. And just phenomenal. I'm glad that we don't have the record anymore. Um, we have half a player. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but to see how this has grown from being so such a local event to now you're seeing fans from across the country do different things every single year. Now to raise money, to put in a donation here. It's to me, that's what the CFL and the CFL fans are all about. And this was fantastic to see that they just absolutely smoked our record. And I couldn't be happier for them in Hamilton right now. You, it's really funny when you look at it.
2: Before great cup in Regina, the record was 15, I believe it was just around $15,000. Hamilton had that raised before the day of the event. They were sitting somewhere around $17,000 before they even kicked off the actual physical in-person event. And to watch how this event has come from basically a day of event where it was still raising fantastic money. You know, $10,000, $15,000 is nothing to sniff at in a room full of CFL fans that put this together. But to see it turn into $60,000 over two years all for great causes. I, I can't remember the name of the the center in in Hamilton, but they've been the re, uh, recipient the last couple times there. You no, know, uh, it's just it's it's heartwarming, and it's honestly, if you've never been, if you're listening to the show and you've never been to the CFL Fans Fight Cancer event, go next year. It is fantastic. It is a great event. It's a lot of fun, and you will never have a more heartwarming event uh, during CFL Week than.
1: Fans fight cancer. All right. One more thing we need to discuss uh, for this episode. There's no games to preview or anything anymore. And the big talk now in Saskatchewan is obviously head coaches. So, update on head coaches. Scott Milanovic apparently had an interview on Monday. Um, others are scheduled. Craig Reynolds... Did an interview with Jamie Nye of the Green Zone at Grey Cup. Did a one-on-one interview. Said the new coach needs to understand the culture of the riders and set the subculture of the team. uh, Based off hard work, resiliency, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to go too much in detail in this because that comment... The culture needs to change. The entire culture needs to change. Jeff Fairholme said it here on the show. The culture... Whatever they're doing right now, whatever they have been doing for 113 years has not worked Four championships. Gone are the days where we're just happy to have a team. Those days should be gone. Championships winning, that should be the culture. How do you establish that? Whatever they're, you're going to bring in a coach and he's going to follow and abide by whatever you have set out. That's clearly not going to work. You aren't going to win championships that way. Something needs to change. Doesn't need to come from the top, higher up than you know the coach and GM. Yeah, probably. It's not going to have. It's not going to change though. We know that right now. But something, the, the, something needs to change. They need to bring in a guy who's just not going to be a yes man. They need to bring in somebody who's going to absolutely stand up to management and say, that's not how we're doing things. Now we're doing it this way. And this is why. So I hope in the interview process, when culture comes up, cause it does that the candidates have a proper, like outlined reason for why they want to do things, what they want to do. And I don't know. I just, it just, I rolled my eyes when I heard that from Craig Reynolds and it just yeah i don't know here's the problem with that comment from him though what because
0: what he's talking about he's not even talking about the lovable loser era of the Riders. he's talking about when the Riders were the most financially the financial juggernaut of this league where they were winning games uh they're selling tickets handover fist they had a waiting list you put a rider logo on anything, it would fly out the door at massive markup. It didn't matter. That's what he's talking about. He had a, co- he had a coach that told him to basically go shove it. And that was Chris Jones. And he found a way to make that untenable for Chris Jones to stay here. So he, he, he has an idea what the culture is and that that's what he wants. He wants his team to be, Financially making money, like just being a money print, that's not what this coach needs to do. This coach needs to build this team, and this is what I, this is why I'm having trouble with that comment. The,
2: the coach needs to turn around and set a culture like you see in Winnipeg, where the players are playing for them for the entire team. The you see the same thing in Calgary over the last twenty years, where it is a continuation or continued success year after year after year. We don't have that kind of culture here in Saskatchewan. We've never had that kind of culture since the 60s and 70s in the the Lancaster and Reid era. And even then, we had one great cup to show for it, but at least there was that push to win. We don't see that anymore. It's all about the financial side of this team, and that's why Craig Reynolds needs to honestly sit back shut his mouth and let Jeremy O'Day handle the coaching and football side of this team. Craig Reynolds can handle the business side, leave the football side to your general manager or fire your general manager. Period. I don't know why, why Reynolds is even talking about the head coaching search. That's not his side of things. That should not be at all. And the fact that he's having that discussion worries me because we've We've heard rumors of him having his hand in things. That has to end.
1: Good job, Jamie and getting us riled up like that, asking stupid questions to the president and CEO. <laughs> <laughs> How <laughs> dare he? Yeah, that's right. Um, but speaking of those coaches, I'm going to start listing off some names. Uh, now, these are the ones that apparently they have uh, reached out to and have received permission to talk to. Um, give me your Quick one line on each guy. Yes or no. Would, you, would he make a good head coach here? The riders with what the riders should be trying to do. Um, Stan Peters, special teams coordinator, Mark Killam. No to anybody the special teams coordinator position.
2: What Steve said, but I will say all the players I've talked to said they will run
0: through a wall for Mark Killam. But not right now. I do not yeah, need him he'll, right
1: now. he'll get his chance somewhere and it's going to be in Calgary when Dave Dickinson takes over as full-time GM only role. Um, Yeah. Um, Stamps defensive coordinator, Brent Monson. Maybe a no for me. I like the youthfulness that he would bring, but Calgary defense wasn't that good this year. There's a more obvious
2: defensive uh, (laughs) name out there. If you're going to go defensive side, there should only be one, maybe two names on that list.
0: Also, um, also, if we hire any stamps, uh, a coach, all we're going to hear about what, why isn't it? Uh, Ronnie's grandson, we, we want Mark, we want Mark,
1: yeah. Um, Ty Cats defensive coordinator, Mark Washington. The above,
2: nope.
0: I, I like him, but no,
1: yeah, he doesn't do anything for me. Um, the lead, leadoff hitter, front runner, um. The guy that we know is going to get the job as confirmed to us by, by Daniel <laughs> Bunch, uh, last week on the show, uh, <laughs> offensive coordinator, Scott Milanovic. Uh, yeah, it's him.
0: It's, it's, it's going to be him.
1: Yeah. I'll be the
2: only way not it's, it's not. The only way it's not him is if they want to go with one of those younger guys that we're going to bring up in the next
1: few yeah, minutes. The, those probably those the, next probably yeah, the next name, probably the next name. But if,
2: if it's not him, we'll all be surprised at this point.
1: Yeah, Lions offensive coordinator, one of those names, Jordan Maximic. If it's not Milanovic, it's Maximik. I Honestly, he's one of
2: three names that even remotely interests me or excites me at this point. I, I would love to see him. He's done great work in, in BC,
1: and he's going to get a shot. Had Michael Riley put up league-leading numbers, did wonders with Nathan Rourke. Turn Vernon Adams Jr. into an elite quarterback this year. I mean, the riders need the help there on the offensive side of things with quarterbacks. That's he's my personal number two guy that I'd like to see them have. Um, Now, those are the guys that are um, apparently confirmed to have been um, or the riders have been allowed to talk to other names on this list that I'd love to see. uh, Corey Mace out of Toronto, defensive coordinator. That's a guy I want to see being a head coach. He was one of the finalists for Ottawa last year, and they chose Bobby Dice over him. Um, Oops. From Ottawa. But I'd love to see him. Oh, man. Mace is going to be a great head coach in this
0: league. Um, I'd prefer to go to the offensive side, but yeah. uh, Give
2: me Mace. If you're going with the defensive coach, Corey Mace is the, the
1: clear and obvious choice to me. Um, and the other name that's really being linked right now, offense coordinator for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Buck Pierce. Only if Butler can escort him in for the uh, press conference.
2: <laughs> I, I was gonna say that's his most memorable moment as a as a Bomber was him losing his head versus us. I'm meh on him. Really,
1: because he's vaulted. I, to me. I, yeah, I he's think I think
0: number
1: he's number one be on head. my list. Yeah. Number what? Number one on my list now. He passed Mace, he passed Jordan Maximic. And I think one, I think he could help bring Drew Brown over here. Um, who I like better than Jake DeLagala. Um, not by much, but still. Um, but the more I think about it, the more that Buck Pierce owes us this, he doesn't get his start in the CFL. Without injuries, and I think it was who's it, Lule, or yep. who, God, I don't know how many BC quarterbacks got a start um, because of the Spurgeon Riders. Wynn Spur- oh, Don't mention Spurgeon <laughs> Win's name on this show. That is that is worse than the F word, man. That's that's bad. You do not say that. Um, but I, I'll ne- never forget it. It was an August game uh, at Taylor Field. Buck Pierce came in and led the Lions to victory. He owes us this, um, but I want to. As much as Scott Milanovic would be a, a very good hire, um, I would like to see a younger coach get this and be here for a while. Scott is Scott Milanovic the long term answer? I'm not so sure. He's the safest hire, absolutely. But if they're gonna go out and take a risk on somebody i hope it's buck pierce i really really do the way that he utilizes the weapons that bc ha- or sorry that winnipeg has and uses their strengths is exactly what the riders need to do he knows exactly what nick demsky is good at and they do it he knows what kenny lawler is good at and they do it he knows what brady Oliveira is good at and they do it helps having an offensive line obviously but and he's, he's hit Zach Caleros for the last couple seasons.
2: Yeah. Um, but I, I, I love the fact that you talk about Scott Milanovic like he's so old and he's three years younger than Mike O'Shea. Which I didn't believe that was the case. I had to literally look it up. He's actually three years. He's 50 years old. He could be the yeah, guy for a guy long period end, of time.
1: I just he's got 10-15 years. I just think with the The way that players are now, the way that society is now, you need somebody that's going to lead them to have been one of them recently. It just connects with them more and more. That's why I love Corey Mace. He played with half the guys that he coached uh, over in Calgary uh, when he was there. Players love that. They love those kind of people that have gone to war with them. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I would really, really like it to be Buck Pierce. I don't think it's going to be, again, I think it's still going to be Scott Milanovic, but I can dream, I guess. But with all these interviews, we should hopefully find something out within a couple weeks, I would hope by the end of next week. I
0: right? keep on, I keep on. They kept uh, Farhan and a bunch of people kept on saying the Riders need to get a head coach by the end of the month. I'm like,
1: yeah, it was 14 I, days. Like,
0: yeah, like, okay, is that like, is that a hard deadline or is that just what what they think they need to do to get the process moving? I don't know. I think you. I gotta think get that, that
2: gives pro- them that gives them the time to spend the last month of the year. Dealing with the free agent list and and going over who they want, who they don't want, getting those contracts out. Oh, no, I agree.
0: I agree. That's why you want to do it, but they made it sound like the riders have a hard deadline of two weeks. I'm like, okay,
1: no hard deadline, but the sooner you can do it is absolutely the better. They're, they're lucky. They're the only ones right now with a,
2: an open head coaching position. So they don't have to, you know, race to get the guy that the other guy might get. That is the Thank one you, advantage Coach, yeah. they have, <laughs> right? Yeah, there'd be a few on the uh, on the outs looking in if there wasn't for that. I uh, they got to take their time, but they can't take a ton of it. But if it takes a few weeks, good. Get the right guy. Don't rush it.
1: Yeah, they'll do their due diligence, work the process the way that it goes, because if somebody absolutely wows you and says I will bring this guy and this guy and this guy is my coordinators and coaches and that just goes wow that's way better than what I thought then maybe that's I mean something that you consider but the sooner also, you can get, the sooner you can get this done the better so you can start moving on to 2024 and question number one in the interview
2: process should be if we actually offer you this job will you take it <laughs> Because I don't want to hear – I mean, I realize with the lame duck head coach last year, the OC, that's rare where you're going to see a situation like that. But could you imagine how embarrassing it would be if we offer the job to Scott Milanovic, he says no, and then Jordan Maximic, and he says no. It'd just be To me, it'd be uh, an absolute nightmare. So question number one, will you actually take the job, or are you just interview practicing?
1: Oh,
0: just and you know what it- to try –
1: just slide a note across the table. Do you like me? Yes or no. Circle one. <laughs> <laughs> and and no to John Ryan. Okay, oh, that's God. not gonna happen.
0: He he. Apparently, I don't know. You uh, you know, I don't listen to the other guy. Apparently, he was just trying to say John was trying to prove a point. Yes, that the the coach needs to have passion and blah 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 blah. blah
1: right? He can but stick with the pickles. Yeah. I I I agree. The coach needs to have passion but it can't be a fan. John Ryan said it needs to be someone like me grew up loving this team. No, no. Stay away from a fan. Stay away from a fan. (laughs) We have a fan as president and CEO right now, and things aren't where they should be from that level. In my opinion, you need a guy who is well, not Chris Jones, but football, football, football loves eats. Drinks, breathes the game, but it's also not an a-hole like Chris Jones is. So you gotta find that happy medium. (laughs) Happy medium. Happy medium. I look look
2: forward to the rumors that come out in the weeks to come, where we uh, we all applied for the job but decided not to take it. That's apparently a thing.
1: Got laughed out the room. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh! I wasn't supposed to send her applications.
1: Well, if we get get a phone (laughs) call, take that interview, okay? Just to see, just to see Alex, where it
2: goes. Alex, you're a championship-winning quarterback. You can be my OC.
1: All right, sounds good. Perfect. What am I doing?
2: I'll... We've been asking that question for five years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's a good way to end. Uh, it. <laughs> and, and then
0: there goes Steve. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Never insult the guy with the buttons.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's going to be an interesting couple weeks here in Riderville. And uh, things are just getting started, and I'm sure we're gonna start seeing some player announcements come out pretty soon about re-signings and whatnot. But that big one, that head coach, we're we're all waiting for that to happen. Scott M. Um, and not McCauley.
0: Yeah, he ain't leaving the Thunder.
1: No. Um, so yeah, maybe by next week when we do this, Scott's the new head coach. So we'll uh, we'll talk about it then. But I think that's going to do it for us this week, where we can uh, just celebrate the end of the dynasty. Dynasty, Screw you, Winnipeg. You lost. Ha ha ha. Yes, that's our great cup right there, is you not winning it. So the whole... One last thing. The Bomber fan base right now, I, I, I like Bomber fans. I love their passion. But they... They're the New England Patriots fans right now. They're so whiny because people don't like their team because they want them to lose. They're so whiny about it, though. That comes from jealousy, guys. You should want eight fan bases to hate you. And they do right now. But also what I find funny is that um, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers social media account on X Twitter blocked the person who runs the BC Lions account Alex Ruiz, her personal account, because she commented that, oh, they're going to have to think of uh, something different to put than their stupid reclaim the throne hashtag or whatever else. They blocked her after that. Like, you guys are so thin skinned. You're a sports Twitter account. You should not be blocking anybody. And they go and block somebody who's the digital or head of digital marketing for the BC Lions. You're so thin-skinned over there in Winnipeg. Like my God.
0: As as someone who has been blocked by the Winnipeg uh, Blue Bombers uh, media account, uh, I I know her pain. I I, I get it. Uh, they they are so petty. They 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 have the heartbreakers uh, backing them up.
2: It's just. <laughs>
1: you know.
2: I I loved when they unblocked you because you donated money and then no, blocked no, no, no. you again.
0: No, they that unblocked
2: me. They unblocked me because someone, one of my secret
0: Santas, sent me a mug commemorating me being blocked by the bombers. And Squeak screenshotted it and sent it to them going, are you going to do it? What about this? So they unblocked me to make my gift worthless. <laughs>
1: That's, That's how funny. petty
0: they are. And then I'm pretty sure they muted me after that.
1: I mean, we all have you on mute. Let's be honest yeah. here. Yeah, face it. I, I get it. Uh, suck it, Winnipeg. You lost. Um, Pivots Podcast brought to you by <laughs> our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks as well to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. Uh, thanks for listening, watching on uh, YouTube or Tell Max TV on demand. We appreciate it. And uh, also thank you again to Cody Fajardo and Jason Moss for uh, beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And most importantly, the Blue Bombers for losing the Grey Cup. Thank you very, very much. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert.